Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to CBS News Roundup ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup, brought to you by Viking, exploring the world in comfort. Here's correspondent Allison Keyes. Coming up, that debt limit battle is finally over, and there is relief from the White House to Capitol Hill. You may be a little tired, but we did it. So we're very, very happy. The battle for the 2024 presidential race is heating up on the Republican side. It'll take me six months to have it totally the way it was. In the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, a discussion about mental health after a former first lady gets dementia. You could see symptoms of behavioral changes, psychological changes such as depression. I'm Allison Keyes in the Washington Bureau. After a pitched battle and rhetoric, President Biden is celebrating after the Senate approved the deal to raise the debt limit, beating the Treasury Department's prediction that the nation would run out of money to pay its bills on Monday. CBS's Stephen Portnoy joins us from the White House with details. Ultimately, Washington's most dramatic showdown has ended with a bipartisan deal uh, accepted by majorities in the House and Senate that were bipartisan. This Fiscal Responsibility Act prevents default through early 2025. It caps non-defense spending for the next two years. It claws back some unspent COVID funds to redirect that money to federal agencies. It also claws back something like $20 billion uh, that had been set aside for stepped-up IRS enforcement over an $80 billion bucket. So uh, that was something that conservatives demanded. It also imposes new work requirements on older Americans who receive government assistance. And it accelerates approval of a natural gas pipeline that will extend from West Virginia to Virginia that was fiercely opposed by environmentalists. Overall, while objections to this package were voiced by progressives and conservatives, it is the product of a bipartisan compromise. And the president hails it as an example of the system working. What is this going to mean for the future, though? Because I had visions listening to some of the lawmakers talk that a lot of them were holding their noses to pass this thing. Well, and we've uh, look, uh, the fact is that when on, on opposite ends of the political spectrum, you have opposition to this. Republicans believe that the, the House Speaker Kevin McCarthy did not extract enough from President Biden and progressives believe that the president gave up too much. But the idea that a bipartisan compromise could be reached, that both sides would, would walk away with, a, with, with something that uh, neither everyone was happy with, uh, indicates that the, the system can work to produce results. Now, there are much bigger questions for the country ahead that are not dealt with in this package on not just how to really truly tackle the 31 and a half or soon to be 35 trillion dollar national debt that we have, but the future health of the entitlement programs on which the nation depends. 
the solvency of Social Security and Medicare are on the line. And those are much bigger challenges for the country than this very short term and rather modest spending question. CBS's Stephen Portnoy. The White House says President Biden is feeling totally fine after tripping over a sandbag and falling on stage after delivering a speech and handing out diplomas to the Air Force Academy class of 2023. The 80-year-old Biden joked to reporters later that he got sandbagged. CBS's Ed O'Keefe reports the incident came up as the current frontrunners for the Republican 2024 nomination. Former President Trump and Florida Governor Ron DeSantis hit the campaign trail. We hope uh, and wish Joe Biden a swift recovery from any injuries he may have sustained, but we also wish the United States of America a swift recovery from the injuries it has sustained because of Joe Biden. Well, I hope he wasn't hurt. I hope he wasn't hurt. Former President Donald Trump expressed concern when told of his successor's fall and referenced his own experience after a commencement at West Point in 2020. You got to be careful about that because you don't you don't want that, even if you have to tiptoe down a ramp. But he couldn't resist taking a shot at his once and possibly future opponent. That's a, that's a bad place to fall when you're making, uh, I think it was the Air Force Academy, right? He's making, that's not inspiring. Trump's comments came as he and his top GOP primary rival, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, each campaigned in early voting states, taking swings at each other throughout the day. Ron, as I call him, Ron DeSanctimonious for a reason. The former president hammered DeSantis for touting his ability to serve two terms. We will work incredibly hard day after day uh, for two terms over eight year period uh, to deliver results. I've been watching DeSantis go out and say, uh, I've got eight years, it's going to be eight years. Let me tell you something, right there you should vote against him. It'll take me six months to have it totally the way it was. DeSantis responded later during his four-stop tour of New Hampshire with wife Casey. Why didn't he do it his first four years? The Florida governor didn't explicitly attack the former president during his formal remarks, instead criticizing President Biden for pushing the Democratic Party to drop New Hampshire as its first primary. Uh, I think what he's been doing with the Democrats is wrong, and I'm glad the Republicans are holding the line um, and are committed to New Hampshire. But on his second full day of campaigning, DeSantis got noticeably irritated during this exchange with a reporter. Governor, how come you're not taking questions from voters? No, not coming up to me, talk to me. What are you talking about? I'm not here working with people. Are you, are you blind? Are you blind? I'm not blind. Okay, so people are coming up to me, talking to me, whatever they want to talk to me about. Now, DeSantis hasn't taken questions from voters during his formal remarks, but offstage, he's interacting with them, shaking hands, posing for selfies, holding babies, exactly the kind of retail politics that voters in the early primary states of Iowa and New Hampshire expect of anyone running for president. Ed O'Keefe, CBS News, Des Moines, Iowa. New government data shows a hot labor market with more jobs added last month than expected, but it also shows an uptick in unemployment. The glass is half full for the U.S. labor market, adding jobs and in industries from restaurants to construction to health care. Some sectors are still struggling to play pandemic catch up. It's been a challenge for us small businesses, especially within the retail sector and the hourly workforce and finding people to work. A better than expected jobs report shows employers added 339,000 jobs in May, the best since January. But the unemployment rate rose to 3.7 percent, up from a five-decade low in April. That increase in the month of May meant that there were 440,000 additional Americans who were unemployed. 
Job numbers for the two previous months were revised up, showing a labor market that continues to absorb inflation and a string of rate hikes from the Fed, which had signaled a potential pause at its upcoming meeting. Given the strength of this report, we have to assume that a rate increase is back on the table. The youth labor force typically grows this time of year, which could help fill a nationwide lifeguard shortage. Since COVID in 2020, our numbers in lifeguards have really gone down. Many cities have increased pay and are offering lucrative bonuses to get guards back in the pool. The robust jobs report tamps down concerns of the dreaded R word. Right now, by the numbers, we are not in a recession. Growth is slowing down, but it has not fallen off a cliff. The report also shows a shorter work week for some and a slowdown in wages, part of a complex jobs picture. Astrid Martinez, CBS News, New York. Coming up, AI and eating disorders. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Do you ever wonder where all your money went? Like every single time you look at your bank account? Honestly, it's probably all those subscriptions. I felt that way too, until I got Rocket Money. Rocket Money helped me see all the subscriptions I'm paying for, and it was eye-opening. Between streaming services, fitness apps, delivery services, it all adds up so quickly. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. The 2023 hurricane season got underway Thursday, and federal officials are warning people to keep an eye out and be ready to flee if need be. People who live in Fort Myers Beach, Florida, know firsthand that just one storm can devastate a community. Many are still struggling to rebound from Hurricane Ian. And now it's time to prepare for the 2023 storm season. Is no two storms are alike. FEMA Administrator Deanne Criswell says it's not just residents on the coast who need to get ready. These hurricanes are different than what we've seen in the past. There are more rain events, there are stronger storm surge, and the majority of the fatalities are coming from those two hazards. What are you most worried about this year? What I worry about the most right now is the fact that we need to focus more on the actual risks and hazards that are associated with these hurricanes. The nation's hurricane experts are expecting what they call a near normal season. 12 to 17 named storms with as many as four becoming major hurricanes. The message has to be no matter what the seasonal forecast is, you have to prepare as if you're going to be affected. We've just discussed this. At the White House, agency chiefs briefed President Biden on NOAA's improved hurricane modeling systems. We're getting more and more accurate forecasting of hurricanes, their tracks, their intensity, their associated storm surge, which means saving more lives because we can anticipate what is likely to happen. Forecasters caution people not to become complacent if we don't see storms early on in the season. They stress the threat is there every day until the end of November. Natalie Brand, CBS News, Washington. 
There's new information confirmed by CBS News and first reported by CNN that could mean more legal troubles for former President Trump over those classified documents found at his Florida estate. CBS News investigative correspondent Catherine Herridge reports. Two sources familiar with the matter tell CBS News the audio tape is from a meeting two years ago at former President Trump's New Jersey Golf Club, more than a year before federal investigators searched his Mar-a-Lago estate in Florida and seized records marked classified. The existence of the tape was first reported by CNN. Two sources say the recording captures Trump acknowledging there are national security restrictions on the Pentagon memo, the detailed potential plans to attack Iran. One source said that Trump stated he should have declassified the record before leaving the White House, apparently contradicting recent claims at a CNN town hall. I have no classified documents. And by the way, they become automatically declassified when I took them. In his autobiography, Trump's former chief of staff, Mark Meadows, appears to describe the New Jersey meeting, where Trump recalls a four-page report that contained a plan to attack Iran deploying massive numbers of troops. He possessed the classified document, and he had the intent to possess that. Scott Fredrickson is a former federal prosecutor. This is a huge piece of evidence uh, for the special counsel. It'll be highly influential in the decision of whether or not to indict the former president. And certainly, if there were to be a trial, this would be mighty powerful evidence, a tape recording of the president himself. In an interview on CNN, Trump attorney Jim Trustee did not dispute the facts of the reporting, but accused the FBI and Justice Department of a leaked campaign. The special counsel declined to comment, but there are indications that his investigation into Trump's handling of classified information may be in its final stages. Catherine here at CBS News, Washington. There's good news for former Vice President Mike Pence ahead of his expected formal announcement next week that he is running for the White House. The Justice Department says it will not file charges over classified documents found at his home. Multiple sources tell CBS News that the Justice Department has closed its investigation into Pence's handling of classified documents and will not seek charges against him. His lawyers have received a letter from the Justice Department confirming the news. The documents were found at his Indiana home earlier this year. CBS's Cammie McCormick. An eating disorder hotline has shut down an AI chatbot that replaced employees and then provided problematic advice. It turns out the AI chatbot was providing harmful advice. So the National Eating Disorder Association, or NIDA, has taken it down. NIDA worked with psychology researchers and CAS AI to develop the chatbot named Tessa. A psychologist at Washington University in St. Louis who took part in the process said Tessa was meant to be a solution to make eating disorder prevention more widely available. The need for more help with eating disorders became evident since the start of the pandemic. One former Helpline employee said calls jumped 107 percent and reports of suicidal thoughts, self-harm and child abuse and neglect nearly tripled. Tessa was put in place after members of the union Helpline Associates United were fired days after their union election was certified. Nita says Tessa was never meant to replace the workers who have filed an unfair labor practice complaint. Linda Kenyon, CBS News. If you're one of those people out there wondering, where are those flying cars we were promised? How about a different sign of the future? Your cab ride soon could be missing a driver. App-based Waymo is leading the way and just announced a partnership with Uber. Robert Stone and Sheila Zaglowski are trying out Waymo's ride-hailing service that just expanded to include their Tempe, Arizona retirement community. Their car arrives without a person, 
in the driver's seat. We love it. It's going to replace a car for us before, sooner than later. In 2018, CBS Mornings cameras were the first allowed to ride in a fully autonomous Waymo. Then, the service was limited to a select few early adopters, and each gas-powered minivan arrived with a human safety driver on board. After more than a million driverless miles and no reported injuries, Waymo is seen as the industry leader, having expanded its footprint in Phoenix, adding service in San Francisco, and soon to parts of Los Angeles. Those minivans have been replaced with a fleet of all-electric Jaguars. The Waymo driver never gets drowsy. It um, doesn't get distracted. Adam Lenz is Waymo's head of sustainability. Would you say the cars perform as well or better than a human driver? I would say that I really trust this technology and that when you're in the car, you feel entirely safe. In March, 68% of drivers told AAA they were afraid of autonomous vehicles, though truly self-driving cars are operating in only a handful of cities across the country. Journalist Tim Stevens covers the auto industry. Waymo has been given a lot of runway this far and a lot of R&D dollars to develop this you know, truly incredible technology, but it is still a long way away from being a truly viable, independent, profitable business. Using the Waymo app, we tried it for ourselves, taking a ride around Phoenix for about the same cost as calling an Uber. You pretty quickly sitting back here forget there's no one actually driving the vehicle. There are a few little things that are different. It can be a little hesitant and it's taken a couple of turns, maybe not the way a human driver would, but nothing that was unsafe. What we've seen is that people experiencing the technology really leads to people using it more. Two people who don't need to be convinced, Sheila and Robert. It's fun and it's safe and you don't have to tip. <laughs> Riding into a tipless and driverless future. Chris Van Cleve, CBS News, Phoenix. Coming up, is the truth out there? That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. This is the CBS News Weekend Roundup, brought to you by Viking, exploring the world in comfort. Here's correspondent Allison Keyes. In Sudan, people in the capital, Khartoum, are again caught between warring parties after talks to maintain a ceasefire collapsed. The BBC's Barbara Platt-Usher reports the situation is dire. For civilians, it's a nightmare because they're basically trapped in their homes a lot of the time and sometimes even having to take shelter under their beds. She tells us that there is hunger as the U.N.'s World Food Program Friday strongly condemned the looting of humanitarian warehouses, saying millions will be affected. Food is a need. I mean, logistically, it's been a problem because the shops and the markets and the bakeries are closed, but they're also now running out of supplies. And there have been widespread power outages, so that affects the water uh, supply. Telecommunications are terrible. Um, basically, there was a collapse of the Internet services during the conflict. We are hearing now that some of that has been restored, but it's still very difficult uh, to get through. Uh, and the health services are a real issue as well. The medicines are running out. Uh, there's staff shortages at the hospitals. Some of the hospitals have been attacked. Some of them have even been occupied by the paramilitary troops. Um, so it's a, it's a real problem for people who have uh, ongoing conditions and people who are elderly and the young. Fierce fighting continues in Ukraine amid the Russian war, but CBS's Deborah Pata spoke with Ukrainian troops preparing for a counteroffensive. Night after night, Kiev is in the firing line. With Thursday's pre-dawn barrage, a new low marking a day set aside for the protection of children by shattering the safety of this man's family. 
His nine-year-old granddaughter was killed along with her mother, hit by falling debris as they raced to an air raid shelter. Russian President Vladimir Putin, meanwhile, celebrated Children's Day virtually, far from the fighting where Ukrainian forces are keeping the Kremlin guessing about their looming counteroffensive. These troops are back from the intense fighting on the eastern front line, but there's no time to rest. They are here honing their battlefield skills. We set up grenade. And training recently mobilized recruits, explains mobile drone operator Artem of the Kupiansk Battalion. So we are regrouping. Uh, there's new people coming to us, so we teach them. We watch the infantry team practice advancing on enemy positions and simulate clearing trenches as a two-man unit gave covering fire from above and drones buzzed overhead, feeding back real-time intelligence to a nearby reconnaissance team. This is a battle-hardened unit who fought in Bakhmut and were part of the lightning counter-offensive in this region last year. There's a degree of tiredness, Deputy Commander Maxim concedes, but we're united by our dream for freedom, a dream that will have to sustain them as the war enters perhaps its most crucial phase yet. There's a global battle against smoking because of the health hazards. Now CBS's Ian Lee reports Sweden is far ahead of the pack. It's getting pretty lonely for Swedish smokers like Paul Monha. I aim to stop at some point. Maybe not today, perhaps tomorrow. The country is on the verge of declaring itself smoke-free. That's when less than 5% of Swedes smoke daily. No, I do not smoke. Uh, and why? I don't know, I just never started. And I don't like the smell, I want to take care of my body, so no, it's, it has never been an interest for me. But it's not just healthy living that's snuffing out smoking. You are not allowed to smoke inside or even at outdoor terraces, on restaurants and pubs, no public places like platforms. The country also has a smokeless secret, kind of like chewing tobacco. Snus is a, a smokeless tobacco product made of tobacco, salt and water, and some flavors to it. And snus usage is slowly on the rise. It's part of the Swedish culture. It's like the Swedish equivalent of Italian Parma ham or uh, any other cultural uh, habit. Health experts say while it's important to offer smokers less harmful alternatives, the goal remains the same. We have to have not only a smoke-free, but a tobacco-free and nicotine-free society. A place where the only thing in the air is the smell of summer. Ian Lee, CBS News. Another excuse for me to mention Star Trek. The mission of the Enterprise is to seek out and contact alien life. NASA may be taking a page from Captain Kirk, holding a meeting this week to discuss the phenomena once known as UFOs and how they affect Terra. My gosh! UFOs are real, but what really are they? NASA's newly formed 16-member panel is charged with figuring out how the space agency can use the tools of science to help the federal government understand what's going on in the sky and how it affects Earth. The study of unidentified anomalous phenomena represents an exciting step forward in our quest to uncover the mysteries of the world around us. NASA says citizens, commercial airline pilots, and the Department of Defense have reported at least 800 UAP sightings over the past 27 years. Between 2 and 5% of those events display signatures that could be anomalous. 
defined as anything that is not readily understandable by the operator or the sensor, something that is doing something weird. Experts say identifying a UAP is like finding a needle in a haystack, especially since there's a lot going on in the sky. On any given day, there are 45,000 airline flights and 184 weather balloon launches in U.S. airspace. There are also 1.6 million recreational or model planes and 880,000 registered drones. And the environment that we fly in, space or, you know, an atmospheric flight, very, very conducive to optical illusions. The panel says while UAPs exist, there is no evidence they are extraterrestrial in origin. We haven't found life beyond Earth yet, right? I mean, let's be clear about this. We haven't found it yet, but we're looking. A final report is expected by the end of July. Donya Backus, CBS News. The nation has a newly minted champion speller. I don't need to spell it out for you. Devila means listlessly. It's used in Scotland. Oh my God. Spelling at this level, with this pressure of the final round of the Scripps National Spelling Bee, is hard. But after 15 rounds and 11 amazing finalists, only one could come out on top. Dev Shaw, if you spell this next word correctly, we will declare you the 2023 National Spelling Bee Champion. The word Samophile, an organism that thrives in sandy soils. Dev Shaw from the Tampa Bay, Florida region with a quiet confidence. File meaning lover, Greek. You're on the right track. Nailed it. P-S-A-M-M-O-P-H-I-L-E, Samophile. That is correct. The 14-year-old is now the champion of the 2023 Scripps National Spelling Bee. That's CBS's Jared Hill. Coming up in the Kaleidoscope with Allison Keyes segment, The Stigma of Mental Health Issues. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. Welcome to the Kaleidoscope with Allison Key segment, where every week we discuss issues including gender. This time we're talking about mental health. Tuesday, the Carter Center announced that former First Lady Rosalind Carter has dementia and that the 95-year-old is living happily at home with former President Jimmy Carter, who was in hospice care. One in ten Americans have dementia, and Mrs. Carter is a longtime mental health advocate. We spoke with Dr. Nicole Purcell, a neurologist at the Alzheimer's Association. We do know that age is the biggest risk factor for dementia. So the fact that she's 95 years old, um, you know, maybe late in making the diagnosis, but the older you are, the more likely you are to have dementia. Talk to me a little bit about what dementia does to people. What would I see in my loved one to, that would make me worry that we need to get some help? So most commonly, uh, what we see is problems with memory. So that is usually the presenting complaint, but you could see symptoms of behavioral changes, um, psychological changes such as depression or anxiety or change in sleep patterns. Um, you know, some behavioral changes that you may see is that um, patients are not engaging, individuals are not engaging in things that they would normally enjoy or normally do. Um, and those are the more common symptoms that we see. What are some of the uncommon ones? 
So sometimes uh, patients will develop speech abnormalities um, that might not be readily apparent to the individual or their family members initially. And and that's really uh, where people don't uh, recognize the symptoms as much or even the, the psychological symptoms. They may not be aware that they are related to a dementia syndrome. I know that there has been, and one of the things Mrs. Carter fought for, there's still a huge stigma about mental illness and Alzheimer's and dementia. Talk to us a little bit about how that can be dangerous for someone who really needs help. Absolutely. So uh, sometimes with the stigma, individuals don't want to bring up their concerns with their doctor. In fact, our facts and figures report from 2023 uh, does address that. So it was found that individuals are more likely to talk to their friends or family members about their cognitive concerns rather than talking to their primary care physician. And individuals noted that one of their concerns was that maybe they would have um, get a serious diagnosis such as dementia, or maybe they would get the wrong diagnosis from their primary care physician. So uh, stigma is a huge uh, hurdle to overcome. But I think it's great that the Carter family did announce that, um, you know, Mrs. Carter has dementia because that is very brave and will help millions of other people um, come forth if, if, you know, they hear about this. You just said something that made me ask, want to ask another question. You said people mm-hmm. worry that they might get an incorrect diagnosis from their primary care physician. Is there someone else that they should be that they should be seeing or we should be taking loved ones to see if if we have concerns? So that's a great question. I usually recommend that patients start with their primary care physician. Um, The primary care physician can certainly um, start to address the issue and and start the workup on behalf of the patient. But Um, Sometimes primary care physicians do need support of specialists, whether it be a neurologist, a geriatrician, um, or a geriatric psychiatrist um, to help, you know, make the diagnosis and to help care for individuals living with symptoms. I wonder if there are certain communities, as there are for so many other health issues, right, that fall through the cracks, communities of color, people that live in low-income and rural areas that don't have immediate access to a doctor. That's correct. So um, there is a shortage of specialists in our country. In fact, there's more than 20 states that are neurology, are considered a neurology desert, where there's very few neurologists or specialists available. Um, We do know that Black Americans are twice as likely as white Americans to have dementia. Um, Hispanics are one and a half times more likely than white Americans to have dementia. And women are twice as likely to develop dementia as compared to men. So there are um, disparities that are there. And uh, no doubt that social determinants of health play a part in this. And uh, there's also the stigma part that prevents people from um, getting diagnosed. I wonder if there's been any study that shows why, particularly the disparities for women, because Black and Latina, we know that some of some of the, well, advocacy groups say that there is a race issue and people being diagnosed for almost anything. But I'm curious, is there something that explains why women would be more susceptible? So it's not clear why women are more susceptible, but it seems to be more than just that women live longer than men. 
Um, there's some thought about uh, hormones, um, estrogen's uh, relationship to carrying oxygen to the brain. It's just a theory, but it's not very clear why women are more susceptible than men. For people that aren't yet or haven't yet been diagnosed or aren't seeing a physician, is there anything that family members and caregivers to do at home? I mean, crossword puzzles, something to help engage the mind? Absolutely. One of the first things that I usually recommend is that if a, a care partner or a loved one or a friend is showing symptoms that um, may be suggestive of cognitive t- decline to really um, encourage them and go with them to the doctor. Um, but if they're very hesitant to do so, um, I generally recommend uh, brain healthy lifestyle. So things like um, engaging in exercise every day. And it doesn't have to be very strenuous exercise, but keep the patient or the individual moving, um, engaging in social activities. So making sure that they get out and they be social and not uh, remain secluded at home. Um, I also recommend um, mentally stimulating activities. So as you mentioned, crossword puzzles um, or games or things to keep the mind, learning new skills or new tasks or just doing what you normally do, but do it in a different way. And then promoting um, healthy heart uh, lifestyle. So with healthy for the heart, we know is very healthy for the brain as well. Really briefly, is there a point when, you see what appears to be a decline and you're saying, okay, I can't let grandma live by herself anymore. Or grandma does not need to be behind the wheel of a car, unfortunately. Is, is there a hard line demarcation of that? Well, there's not a hard line, but if you're concerned, there needs to be a concern. So I usually say, so whenever I see an individual with cognitive concerns, I usually ask the individual how they're doing and how they're functioning and you know what types of activities they're engaging at home independently and which ones they need assistance. But I also ask their care partner as well, you know, what are the things that they're seeing that the individual with symptoms may not be seeing? And I usually ask them, are they comfortable getting in a car while the individual is driving? And if they're not comfortable, then I tell them, look, we need to have this evaluated. Maybe a neuropsychologist needs to be involved to make sure that your thinking and processing is you know, well enough to drive and then um, get them behind the wheel in a driver's program to assess how they are actually doing behind the wheel. And I just want to give you the opportunity to say, to say one more time for people that are running into this, this is livable. This is something that if one is lucky, you can live with it at home. Yes, absolutely. So even if you're diagnosed with dementia, um, you can still do the activities and engage in whatever you were engaging in previously, I usually remind patients that because I'm I'm making the diagnosis with them, that they're still the same person they were yesterday or last month. Um, and so nothing really needs to change there other than once you get the diagnosis, now you become um, available for different support services and different discussions about supporting you as you advance through the course of your lifetime. That was Dr. Nicole Purcell at the Alzheimer's Association. Coming up, the vocal creatures helping to fight wildfires. That's next on the CBS News Weekend Roundup. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and 
starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On the CBS News Weekend Roundup. I'm Allison Keyes. They almost sound like people, but some horned, four-legged critters are being used in the Golden State to help stop wildfires before they start. Cities across the state of California have been turning to goats to get rid of vegetation and brush ahead of wildfire season. West Sacramento is one of them. That it's a much more sustainable approach. You know, there's no emissions, there's no fuel, oil, any of that stuff going on. So we're reducing our carbon footprint that way, which is a great um, effort by the city to in our sustainability goals. Demand for goat grazing has increased. California is probably the largest state that does goat grazing and or some kind of herbivore um, fuels abatement. And so has the size and severity of wildfires. Over the years, goat herding was an inexpensive option, with goat herders being paid only several thousand a month. But new state labor regulations set to take effect January 1st would more than triple that to 14000 a month. The California Labor Federation says the idea is to protect workers, many here on temporary visas from Peru. While the state of California is funding these measures, I think it also has a responsibility to make sure that the workers who are associated with it aren't being abused, um, that they're not being taken advantage of, that they, in fact, are being treated fairly. Herding companies have sued over the law and have passed along increased labor costs to their customers. Tim Aerosmith's company, Western Grazers, has about 4,000 goats for hire. So by January 1 of 24, if we cannot fix uh, the current legislation, uh, we will be forced to sell these goats to slaughter and to the auction yards and we'll be forced out of business and probably file for bankruptcy. They say goat grazing is a way to cut costs on a much larger issue. He says there's a lot at stake. Your house could burn up because we can't fire mitigate. I mean, thousands of structures have burned in fires. Millions of acres have burned. Hundreds of millions of dollars has been spent on putting out fires. Very little has been spent on fire prevention. KOVR-TV's Rachel Wolf. Is your smartphone making you cry? It seems young people are going old school to unplug. WJZ's Amy Kawada explains. What younger people are doing is recognizing that it's okay to stand out from the norm. It's okay to do something that's not mainstream and not engage with social media, not be on their phones all the time. In a tech-dominated world, it's getting harder and harder to truly unplug. But a dumb phone could help us balance the scale just a little bit. Young people themselves are kind of self-censoring and saying, I don't really need the negative mental health and social harms that come with an always connected life. Dumb phones are basic handsets or feature phones with very limited functionality compared to, say, an iPhone or Android. It refers to the early 2000s technology where you can make calls and texts on the simple devices, and that's about it. People are purposefully seeking out that lower functionality so they can resist the constant need to be online. Recent reports show these so-called dumb phones are on the rise in the U.S. Mobile tech companies are reporting climbing sales figures for their most basic mobile phones, such as Nokia flip phones, thanks to Gen Z.
why my friends and I only take our flip phones out because we realize that every single problem that we have on a night out, everything that leads to us crying, everything that leads to us having a bad hookup, everything that leads to us having a bad time stems from our phone. Switching to a flip phone for 30 days and documenting the change that it has on my day-to-day -day life. What this might do is simply free up people's minds during the day. So that way they're not carrying that internet connected device with them at all times. This comes as the U.S. Surgeon General released an advisory earlier this month warning parents of the potential negative effects social media can have on our children. Academic Director of the Emerging Media Program at Loyola University, Maryland, Greg Hoplazamian, thinks this shift in culture could have a positive impact on society as a whole. Any amount of people that avoid the, the constant allure of the internet always being in their pocket, that's probably going to be good for their personal um, health, mentally and physically. As we continue to evolve and emerge in the digital world, he says it's all about balance. Here's a good world to follow. I think if we're more honest with ourselves about what actual benefit are we getting from something? And if we don't have a really long list of strong benefits from a particular technology or app or website, we should probably try to argue to ourselves to discontinue it. Finally, for the beginning of Pride Month, as celebrations are on from the U.S. to Canada, three CBS News staffers are thinking about what Pride means to them. Three decades ago, at the ripe old age of 26, I came barreling out of the closet and announced to my family, my friends, and most importantly to myself, that I was indeed a lesbian. Those early years were alternatively exhilarating, but also fraught. I was navigating existing and new relationships amid the backdrop of the ongoing AIDS epidemic and anti-gay rhetoric. West Hollywood was the first place in my life where I was fully able to embrace my authentic self. It was the first time I stopped suppressing myself and allowed me to be me. In 2020, I remember confiding in someone, I might be making this all up, but I think I'm gay. It felt unreal to say that out loud. It also felt unreal to be going through this kind of monumental shift, my own second puberty, if you will, in my late 20s. I was a brand new Norman on my own terms. It was such an eye-opening and freeing time in my life. As I was growing my small financial planning firm, I embraced my gay pride by being an out business owner in a small New England city. For 14 years, most of the community knew that I was gay, but I didn't really take part in any larger or organized events. When I joined CBS in 2009, well, that all changed. I swear the TikTok algorithm knew I was gay before I did. Those were the types of videos that immediately popped up when I opened the app. And I began to recognize that I've always felt the most comfortable in queer spaces. Once I put two and two together, I was sort of shocked because it seemed like all of the building blocks had been there and I just hadn't taken that step. There's no greater freedom than being able to be yourself, your real self. Not everyone has that freedom. I'm lucky enough to have the freedom to live my life how I want to live it today. Early in my tenure at CBS, I spoke openly about my partner, and another gay person on staff warned me to be a little more guarded. I didn't want to alienate viewers, did I? Well, that's the kind of advice that I knew was not for me. I immediately found the people at CBS who were trying to launch the company's first ever LGBT employee networking group. This was instrumental in creating the 2011 It Gets Better video. CBS News business analyst Jill Schlesinger, producer Costanza Mayo, and editorial producer Norman Oliver spoke with CBS Mornings. 
That's it for the Weekend Roundup. Thanks for listening. We want to get your feedback. Send us your thoughts and story ideas to Weekend Roundup at cbsnews.com. As always, you can find the program online on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Sarah Fishman is the technical supervisor at Alan Peng provides production assistance. Tara Lipinski is the executive producer. Have a great week. I'm Allison Keyes, CBS News. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to the CBS News Roundup ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money, and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Stephen Colbert here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with my producer, Becca. Becca, what's what's up? So The Late Show Pod Show is everything you love about The Late Show on oh, a I podcast. Want, I want to know about you. Oh. Enough. We, 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 people see everybody in an ad talks about the thing they're trying to sell. Oh. I'd like to know about you, the person behind creating the podcast. Oh, I'm having a really good day. Barry baked some bread and my friend Kara got me some chicken salad. It's a really nice day in the office today. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts.